Hello, welcome back to Culture Dumps. I'm Ryan Lichten. And I'm Parks Miller. Today we are concluding our Beanie Babies saga here. We've given you more information on Beanie Babies than you could probably get anywhere else except for the book where we got most of our information from, and that is The Great Beanie Baby Bubble, written by Zach Bisonette. Uh, can't recommend it enough, but where we left you last week, or like previously on Culture Dumps, <laughs> like kind yeah, of a thing. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the Beanie Babies had now been created, released. It was a slow climb. Uh, they, they they start developing the idea of retiring them, and then so so by purposefully you know taking beanies out of stores you know after a certain amount of time plus uh, you know the insane perfectionist that Ty Warner was you know changing Beanie Babies here and there. Um, he's establishing this collector's market where now there's some that are different, and there's the first version versus the second version. You start seeing the dawn of like true collectors and priceless are starting to be made uh, self-published books like handbooks and and guides and all that stuff and there's a little bit of crime that's happening now some thefts um, they're having to you know take the labels off of the boxes that they're shipping them in because people are breaking into them um, finally after you know they, they create a website all, all that stuff um, they but where we're really going to start off is right where we left you basically which was McDonald's. So they finally, after years of never wanting to do licensing deals, they finally decide to work with McDonald's, becoming the biggest McDonald's toy craze ever. And they did two in a row. Um, so we're, we're starting now in 1998 after the storm. Let's go. With the McDonald's That's deal good. came a tidal wave of new Beanie Collectors. Beanie Mania was the top story on most news outlets, and the dream of a big score was now widespread. This was not an unreasonable dream, though, as retired Beanie prices continued to soar. The general consensus was that Beanie Babies were here to stay and would soon be established as a long-lasting collector's market, which seems silly now, but when you consider the high auction prices of other items, such as baseball cards and, you know, Barbies and Hummel figurines, it... It's easy to, you know, see why someone would think that. You know, there's a lot of stuff right. that's fucking stupid that's worth a lot of money. So did you have uh, baseball cards? Did you ever get into that? No, I never got I, into I, any I did, sports. I, I did see, Pokemon cards, which we'll talk about a little yeah. bit in this episode. Right. I did Pokemon cards, but I, I did baseball cards. And I and now thinking about it, maybe that was a bubble, you know, just being a teenager, not realizing it. Well, no, because um, baseball cards hold have... like serious value. And now there's like a trend of like unboxing and stuff like that. Um, yeah, but like, no baseball cards, like there's, there's some that are worth like millions and millions of dollars still. And I, yeah, I guess but like why? A, I don't know. You know? Well, I could, I guess, cause if it's, if it's like Babe Ruth, there's like Mickey Mantle, you know, some, I could see how, like, if it's some classic card. Yeah. It's a, if it's super could, old, you know what I mean? Like super, mm -hmm. but yeah, I don't, I don't know. There's a thing. And I, I was just reading that, you know, Pokemon cards are, you know, getting like, they're starting to go through the grading process. Like they do with like comic books and things like that to like, you know, mint versus perfect and all that stuff. And you know, yeah, some of them are worth like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I'm just like, God damn it. But again, if you don't know who to sell them to, they're kind of just worth whatever anyone will give you for them. You know, it's, True. It's about knowing the market. It's about spending a lot. You got to spend a lot of time to to get the rewards of this. Yeah, and I think Pokemon cards kind of survived in the secondary market because we have baseball cards to look at and comic books. You know, like as as reference, Beanie Babies. It's like there's really not like another example of something just like that that is still right. super relevant well, also, and worth it. 
and I know that they did, you know, branch off a bit in terms of, you know, the McDonald's, but really that's still just Beanie Babies. I mean, you know, there wasn't a show, like Pokemon had a show that kind of hooks Yeah, a video game. They, Pikachu was an actual character that you could, you know, relate to and sort of, you know, had a story and things right. that were happening to the character. And then, of course, the video games were highly successful. So I feel like people kind of might kn know or have some relationship with Pikachu the way they would with like Sonic or some other animated Mario or Mickey Mouse. Yeah. The Beanie Babies, that's all they are. It's it, yeah. Just it, the fucking... Good point. Yeah. That, that <sighs> is all they are. There was nothing. It's just like, wait, so like this fucking thing that's not even available at like Toys R Us. They're only in like Hallmarks and gift stores. It's like right. this. So you're telling me this is worth a shitload of money. Like what, like what the fuck? Like, it, it, you know, and that's why it took a while to, to, you know, catch on. And when it did, the people that were, you know, in on the ground floor, we're going to use that word a lot. And we have in the last episode, it's like they were sitting pretty because they already had all the ones that were now super sought after. As secondary market sales of beanies continued to rake in big profits, it became clear to an elite few that a speculative bubble was forming. A speculative bubble, as explained by economist Robert Schiller, is a situation in which news of price increases spurs investor enthusiasm, which spreads by psychological contagion from person to person. In the process, amplifying <laughs> stories that might justify price increases and bring in a larger and larger class of investors who, despite doubts about the real value of an investment, are drawn to it partly through envy of other successes and partly through a gambler's excitement. There's a lot there. That's a mouthful. That's a lot. And I, psych psychological contagion played <laughs> at the side stage at Woodstock 99. Uh, little yeah, little tie in there. Psych dude, yeah, they were one psychological of the contagion. Yeah, dude. Uh, no, totally. But are they rap? Are they metal? Yeah, it's, dude, it's, it's psych, man. Dude, oh, psych, psych cage. But anyways, um, what basically all that means is when a bubble forms, it's when there are a few stories of people making a lot of money that gets passed around, you know, just word of mouth style. It becomes this myth, and that draws in a class of investors that would normally, you know, do very successful investments or may, might do it for a living or might uh, have more capital to put into this than, say, your man-on-the-street collector or, you know, the, the suburban right. housewives, like the two Beckys we talked about. And so it stoked it, – like – sets the market on fire because all of a sudden it was, you know, just a hundred people that were doing these things. Now there's like people that are super rich throwing in their money and it gets too big for its britches. That that's essentially what, what's right. happening. So like depending, okay, here's a way like depending on your job. Now maybe with you, Ryan, you know, when you were doing your job and it was a bit more of like a specific type of person, unless you have like a specialized job, if you're working at some sort of job where it's just putting random people together that might not really have like that much in common. Yeah. If the people at your work start talking about it, that's when you know it's too fucking late for you to make money. Yes. On it. Exactly. Because then it's become too common. Um, and that's funny because maybe that's what podcasting is, too. Right. Well, oh, you can make a ton of money. Doing I, mean, podcasts. I, I see podcasting more as like being in a band. It's like everyone's in a fucking band. You know what I mean? And it doesn't really, right, right. you know, it doesn't really mean. But you anything. hear about the, yeah. you know, you hear, oh, like last podcast, they make blah, 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 so much. And so then you're like, oh, you just got to get a mic and yeah. you just got to. Let's let, me and my girls. We're gonna like have a couple of drinks. We're gonna like talk about some dicks. And we're gonna we talk about serial killers. Like, we would fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And then like <laughs> we're making fun. Yeah. And then you know what? Those fucking people that we're just making fun of are the ones that make all the fucking money. And we're here talking about <laughs> beanie babies. But we're maybe in we it. should have a couple glasses of wine and talk about how hot Ted Bundy is. Well, anyways, yeah. The beanie baby craze began to reach its ultimate peak in 1998. 
Suspicion that the bubble would burst began to grow among collectors experts who had seen plenty of fads come and go. In 1998, antique expert Harry Rinker explained that there was no way that a Beanie Baby could retain its value past the peak of the craze because there was no way to account for how many beanies actually existed. And he pointed to hoarding as a reason for this. Again, people are going into these stores, buying up all of them in the hopes that they'll retire one of them. And now they have six of these ones that you can't get anymore. So that, you know, and then you start building your, your investment that way. But the thing is, is everyone in the country is going and buying all these, like everyone has 10 of those and four of those, you know? So, but no one knew that. And we'll get into, you know, once they started figuring it out, it's generally due through the internet, but we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But that guy Rinker, he was, you know, he was on the radio a lot and he, he published a lot of articles about, you know, just like slamming beanie babies. And a lot of people were mad at him. And, but other mm-hmm. antique collectors were kind of like stoked on him. And they even presented him with like stinky, the skunk beanie baby that was crucified and they titled the piece the king of fools and it was like all about how everyone's so stupid and we know what's up because like we deal in hummels and you know precious moments Mm -hmm. instead of beanie babies it's kind of a well he saw well i mean he won he won the histories he won the war side yeah yeah (laughs) it's looking kindly on him now exactly when public interest in beanie babies peaked there were really no rare beanie babies to score for a retail price or even a price that could be profited from later the ground floor collectors, such as the Beanie Beckys, had already acquired them in mass. There were some Beanie investors who, despite the shortage of high-value Beanies, threw their hats in the ring in hopes of a big payoff. Um, and, like, what was happening is stores and vendors that, you know, initially refused to sell them started carrying them, so now the availability is just through the roof. And it's, again, this, mm-hmm. this the driving idea isn't that kids really want these, it's that mommy and daddy could put them in the safe and pay for the kids college with it later yeah this is this is really shifted and i mean i think that probably in 98 is probably when i had a couple just because you know i had a a lot they were cute or whatever but i definitely wasn't cognizant of the money so like while i was just like while me and my friends just had a couple to play with there's like adults like sweating yeah over these things oh uh, and i'm just completely oblivious Definitely. And, you know, uh, the stores that began carrying them, they thought, well, we'll be able to hang on to a few. And then when those get retired, we'll be able to sell them, you know, behind the counter. But again, the increasing availability starts decreasing the secondary market price. Uh, but a good example. You know what I remember, though? Yeah. Sorry. No, yeah, yeah. I remember they were re- they were really fun to throw. Well, they're beanbags. That's what you the do beans. with them. Yeah. You could just chuck them hard. Dude, when I, okay. Anyway. I bought like as many Princess Diana beanie babies I could on eBay that if they were under like 10 bucks. So I have like eight right. of them or something, you know, enough to cover my nude body in a tasteful photo if I wanted. But <laughs> that's Patreon, well, folks. Patri- new Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah only beanies uh, dot com. But um, I was thinking like when I'm super rich and I have like a giant mansion in my yard with my cornhole game, I'm going to use these Princess Diana beanie babies as the bean bags, And that's going to be like my flex, like just like I'm here. Throwing them around in the backyard like they're nothing. Mm-hmm. Just fucking raining yeah. Princess Diana bears. But one guy in particular, Brian Wallows, founded a website called Wallows.com. And he took out full-page ads in the most popular Beanie Baby publications and helped broker deals for collectors trying to sell their rare beanies. And in some instances, he would just purchase the collections outright to resell them on his website. One example that made him somewhat of a beanie legend was when he bought 1,000 Princess Diana bears with a $100,000 cashier's check. Uh, that's... <laughs> 
<laughs> just insane. But Wallace yeah. realized that he was coming into the beanie game rather late and recognized that uh, at any moment. He, whoops. Yeah, exactly. But he, he was smart. He realized that at any moment the value of his vast stock could drop drastically. So he included a fine print warning on his website's ads that stated, please note, prices may go up or down due to the extremely volatile nature of the beanie business, which is uh, the street term for uh, dealing in Thai beanie babies, the beanie business, baby. Beanie business. While he knew he was taking a risk, he still hoarded several choice beanies for himself for a long-term investment that, of course, that never paid off. They weren't worth anything, uh, and he basically lost everything, um, but he was smart enough to put a little bit aside into his new business, which is trading cards featuring prominent uh, porn stars. <laughs> like, that's, that was his like mastermind business. Probably not worth a lot of money, but I could I could see that being some collector item. Yeah, well, it's, some... it's more. I'd rather look at those than like a bunch and a fucking beanie baby sitting on my shelf all day. It's interesting. Now, are you allowed to have both? Can you have the beanies kind of propping up your favorite porn star and angled on your dresser so yeah, it's well, looking I mean, at you directly? I, I don't think that's even fucked up because as we've discovered, you know, <laughs> beanies are no longer a child a children's toy. It's an adult toy. Yeah. They could sell them in an adult toy store, if you will. Uh, so no you're saying there could be like a beanie fleshlight comeback. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> Little weenie beanies. Yeah, weenie yeah, babies. weenie beanie. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, we're, we've really gone beanie fucking crazy. It's just flowing out yeah. today. Another example of a late-in-the-game collector was Chris Robinson. Robinson had starred on the soap opera General Hospital throughout the 70s and 80s and became interested in beanie babies after his son had pointed them out to him while shopping. The store owner explained the value of retired beanies, citing their gradual but relatively quick growth as reason to believe that they were a worthwhile investment. Robinson was hooked. After getting his entire family wrapped up in the frenzy, he eventually bankrupted himself, having spent upwards of $100,000 on Beanie Babies, and he meticulously categorized them and sorted them in a style that would impress Ty Warner himself. The problem was, the value of all these beanies that he acquired during this short amount of time were about to just plummet. And, you know, th there's stories from his family, um, where when teeny beanies came out, they would take all the kids' friends and they'd go to all these McDonald's and they weren't sending the food back. They were like, no, give us the whole Happy Meal. And these kids like would just gorge themselves on Happy Meals. And one of the kids like got really sick and just like barfed everywhere one time, just like sweat shopping Happy Meals down, trying to get the teeny beanies. And it's like... That sounds like a roll doll book. You know, the guy wrote Matilda, <laughs> like some shit where the parents are just like putting their kids through some shit, you know? Yeah, it's like, like oh, you want just... fast food? Yeah, and then... <laughs> like they just like jam them full of it, it exa uh, exactly um that's sad yeah and we'll revisit robinson's story a little bit later uh u.s trade representative of the time charlene barshevsky was stopped at customs in china in 1998 while on a trip to, with President Clinton, and the whole uh -oh. purpose of this trip was to negotiate the trade deficit between the U.S. and China, which was, you know, in the high billions. And also, there was all these trade regulations that, like, Ty himself, like, supported. And it, this lady, you know trying to solve America's trade problem, gets busted at the customs, you know, on the way back with 40 Beanie Babies, and they were confiscated from her due to the <laughs> restrictions. It's like, hey, you're not just buying these for, you're, you're going to resell these. Like, we're on to you. Because Beanie, you know, mania was so big. And she was publicly scrutinized by other political figures for participating in Beanie Mania while on a business trip of that magnitude. And uh, understandably so. It's like, that's a joke. Now we have real scandals. Back then, it was, well, I mean, Clinton was, was about I mean, to do something pretty Clinton. big. 
reason I said uh oh because I'm thinking like what else went on that the trip? Who knows? Yeah, who who but, knows? Um, but yeah, busted at maybe that busted at maybe the she took the. Maybe she took the fall with the beanies. And they were to, his. Uh, cover up He's old like, Slick Willie. I'm already in some shit. Like, can I'm you in, just take I, the rap for listen, the beanies? I, yeah. <laughs> I'm in China paying off someone for some other shit. Something about a plane. Anyway. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, exactly. Something about a plane trip. But <laughs> So in the midst of all of this, a counterfeit market began to emerge. Collectors around the country were getting ripped off by people selling knockoffs as the real thing, and many of the original collectors found even more success in starting Beanie Baby authentication services. The stories of these counterfeit deals even further pushed the idea that Beanie Babies were incredibly value, you know, valuable, because why would you make counterfeits of something if the real thing wasn't worth a lot? It's the same, you know, the, you, you don't see counterfeit like Target brand shit you see target design you know you see counterfeit designer <laughs> right, shit right. you know so again well, i guess it was the confusion right if that's what it seems like is maybe there was just still a confusion as to like was it valuable or not well it just seemed to be happening so quickly yeah and these things were pretty easy to counterfeit uh, considering that there was so many variations with so many slight changes and you could buy like say a bunch of new beanie babies that have like the new hang tags with the poems. And then you could create your like fake tags that had the to and from like the original tags and switch them off. You know what I mean? And the beanies would virtually be identical, but if you could switch the tags, you could make them, you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars in, in value. So people were seeing that happen. So yeah, like the two Beckys and, and the couple of the other collectors we mentioned, you would send in your beanie baby with like some money and they would like give you like a certificate, like a authentication certificate certificate it's like kind of it's like ridiculous but counterfeits yeah, were not the only legal worry for beanie collectors in las vegas a couple going through a divorce could not agree upon who their beanie baby collection would go to after their split the disagreement got so heated that the divorcees had to split the collection one by one under the supervision of a family court judge there's a picture and of this is that the, that's the picture yeah i will probably use that picture for the post because it's amazing yeah, it's like it's, sad. I mean, you, it's just it's well, it's just crazy because, I mean, it's like uh, that's the most one of the most 90s things ever. Yeah. Divorce court. Very 90s. And then, I mean, because it was probably so tense because, you know, at that point, I mean, it seems so silly now. But at that moment, like these were I mean, you're bringing up in divorce court and their money. So then they're probably fucking arguing about who gets which alligator or the peacock. Right. Or, you know. Right. And to prove <sighs> like and at least, you know, and the only reason why the court even entertained that is because there were these published price lists out and these like guidebooks right. to the value and the and like the perceived, you know, growth of these things. So you could, you know, put a price tag on a stack of beanies and be like, well, you know, it really isn't yeah. fair for you to take all these because they could make you one hundred thousand dollars altogether together so yes we do need to have these split amongst you guys as common property or or, or or what have you but that's not even that crazy there was also the case of 29 year old jeff white from west virginia who after starting his own beanie baby business alongside his other criminal enterprises like selling meth and weed and uh pills and other mm. stuff murdered harry simmons over what essentially boiled down to a 200 dollar beanie baby dispute that's what we were waiting for. That's what I was waiting for. You you wanted Someone blood. <laughs> I wanted blood spilled over a beanie. Yeah. Well, I mean, this isn't the only time. I mean, there's, but this is the main one. And, you know, if you're familiar with the film, The Wild and Wonderful Whites of West Virginia, or Wonderful Wild mm -hmm. Whites of West Virginia, but one of those two about the White family, uh, a.k.a. Jesco White, um, you know, the dancing outlaw, 
this guy specifically in his interview was like, I'm not part of that white family. They're more of a circus show. My family's actually really violent and like criminals. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Like, what? it's like, okay, killing, like cool. They're doing meth in Virginia and we're stabbing each other. Weird over flex. Beanie babies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And meth. So white <laughs> had borrowed the money from Simmons in order to purchase beanie babies that he was going to then flip pretty quickly. Cause that's what he was doing. And Simmons was like, okay, I know you're good for it because I'm hearing that you're selling all these beanie babies. So here's 200 bucks. Well, one thing led to another one drunken night after one drunken night, party, party, party. The 200 bucks is gone. White can't pay it back. He, you know, Simmons is after him and white goes to confront him, uh, to like work it out in whatever, which way one thing leads to another. And he shoots the guy dead, uh, at his workplace. So he gets sent to prison and while in prison, he commits a slew of other crimes, like starts fights, uh, starts gassing the, the CEOs, which uh, gassing is like a, it's a prison term. It's when you like piss or shit in a cup and then like splash it on someone. Um, so he was doing that kind of nice. stuff and being put in uh, solitary confinement to like get a rep because everyone was calling him the beanie baby killer. And he's like, I got to be like fucking crazy if I'm going to, you know, move, work past yeah. that. Even though the beanie wow. baby killer is like kind of badass. That It has. I mean, it's something unsettling about it. If he was like a like, cannibal the, and he was like, why the would beanie those baby two killer. things be? be put together and then also if you are willing to kill over a beanie baby you're imagine what he would do for like a thousand bucks yeah you know jesus or a hamburger yeah so. it, it's out of control and there was also an armed robbery in sherman oaks california for about five thousand dollars worth of beanie babies everyone hit the floor bash open the cases steal the beanie babies just so i mean things are really starting to it, it's it's in full swing a hundred percent at this point there's nothing and, left that's going to make it bigger and the, and this is again because I I know I'm trying to find whatever way I'm still obsessed with the Sopranos watching the first <laughs> time this year and uh, basically this this thing kind of dies before the show starts because if it if it had gone on a little longer they would have had I some beanie baby shit I think I think Tony would have you know he would have jacked the band of beanies yeah <laughs> but it just like not quite just oh just missed it anyway. yeah 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 I know instead they uh, were stealing truckloads of DVD players. That's a first yeah, season. They had, they did, they did talk about Pokemon cards. It's true, they so. did. Now, Ty began retiring more and more beanies, causing an immense surge of sales. In May of 1998, it was announced that 28 Beanie Babies would be retired. This came at a time when the amount of collectors was at an all-time high. By then, the vast majority of Beanie Baby collectors and sellers had only been involved for about a year. Ty Inc. sales for 1998 exceeded 1.3 billion dollars. And yeah, and that, and this is just the he's just selling for the whatever the retail right the the five six bucks yes yeah tying's so profits in no way are affected by collector market at all that they, is yeah. incredible and it's incredible that he's just I mean he's is participating but then he's not I mean to our knowledge benefiting or i mean i guess on top it doesn't seem like he's actually participating in any kind of this market stuff right you know, i mean like I, here and I there maybe could. well here and there maybe he it seemed like he was like retiring things like in order because he knew if he could make them more valuable to the collectors they would sell more in the stores you know and, and clear out room for more inventory get reorders in um but he really wasn't Still, doing he, that because he kind of despised these people yeah. as like taking his creation into their own hands because he was so such an egomaniac that he saw it as like people getting rich off of him even though it literally had nothing to do with him right he's 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 very strange guy he's like oddly missing from 
this whole yeah second craze. It lived on with, with, without him it, exactly. So now we're in 1999 and the Beanie Baby blowout. With only 40 of 200 kinds of Beanie Babies available for sale at retailers, the demand for retired beanies was at its height, but not from the people looking to buy them for their collection. Most of the demand stemmed from people wanting to cash in on the trend. When the price list were published in January of 1999, collectors and retailers were shocked to find that there was little to no increase in the value of the newly retired beanies. The fascination began to cannibalize itself. With the ever-growing numbers of secondary sellers, people were becoming aware of the number of Beanie Babies out in the world. eBay, which originally helped grow the Beanie Bubble, now gave buyers and sellers insight into just how many people were buying and selling them and at what prices. You can now see in real time uh, on eBay, it's like, oh yeah, uh, you know, this bear or this camel or or whatever there's only two of them and they're about 500 bucks but if there's fucking a hundred of them and you're seeing that people are only buying them for like 50 bucks that everything's starting to get driven down and now you're you're realizing oh shit you know this isn't that rare because 50 other people are selling it oh that just just hearing that unfold just that stresses me out (laughs) just imagining you're you're just sitting on these turds yeah yeah, exactly. And like the uh, panic is starting to to work in people's <laughs> minds. And again, it's like, okay, well then let's liquidate the collection. It's like, well, you can't now because now instead of being mm-hmm. one of fifty people with these rare beanie babies, you're one of five hundred. You know, and some people have the capital, like someone like Brian Wallace. You know, it's like, okay, so you have these bigger investors, like we talked about in the quote earlier, people with a lot of money that can just go in. They don't need to do the hunts because they'll just find someone with all this shit already and buy it all up. Now they have it, you know, so it's, it's really the, the market is starting to unfold here. And but, you know, also another thing is that Thai Inc. closely guarded its retail sales figures. So no one really knew how many of each beanie were actually being shipped out into the world. So the rarity of a lot where it was only in the minds of the people that were you know seeking them out. Um, and that that's kind of the whole thing. And despite the drop in collectible value, Thai Inc. was making more money than it ever had. They made so much, in fact, that Ty Warner did something so unprecedented that even the Wall Street Journal had to take note and give him props. In January of 1999, all 300 employees of Thai Inc. received a year-end bonus equal to their entire 1998 salary. That's crazy. While this extreme gesture of gratitude gave Ty Warner and his company a ton of positive press, the reasons behind the bonus were less virtuous. As with most decisions Ty had made throughout his career, there was an ulterior motive. The only reason Ty approved these bonuses was to pat himself on the back and show off to his competitors, who by this time he was running laps around financially. Not only did Ty Inc. outsell every other toy company, but they had made enough to literally double the yearly salary of every employee. So it's these fucking egomaniacs, man. Right. It's kind of insulting, right? Like it is. Don't get me wrong. That is an amazing thing. And I'm sure that that really altered the lives in a positive way for everyone that busted their ass at that company. But it's almost kind of insulting because he's just doing it. till it's like, oh, yeah, here, like money will make you happy because you don't have that much. Like that's how it comes off. Right. That's that's like sort of an equivalent of just like throwing money in the air and just watching, you know. Yeah, and it's like, guess what I did for my employees? Like, and it, and it creates animosity amongst the employees of other majors like Mattel. You know, like if you're working at Mattel and you get your Christmas bonus, you're like, oh, that's great, I got twenty five hundred bucks. You're like, wow, Ty fucking literally would have given me my fifty thousand or whatever the fuck it is that you made. You know, so right. th- th- that was a huge thing. But that wasn't it. 
he also had exclusive bears made that were only given out to employees, like Beanie Baby, Beanie Baby Bears, and the bears were always kind of the most valuable because they were all, you know, all the other animals were kind of just the animal. The bears all represented something else. So, you know, they, you know, were quite popular amongst the collectors. But these exclusive employee bears were being sold on eBay for thousands of dollars. They were some of the most coveted Beanie Babies ever, and Ty knew that. So when he would make these for his employees, it's like, yes, I doubled your salary, but also here's basically a $3,000 Beanie Baby, you know, that you could all sell. And, you know, he did that several times. He He wasn't watching them. See who sold it and then pun it, sacking no, him later. No, he, he did it intentionally. Okay. Like, why would they okay. want to fucking okay. keep that shit? You know, it's like that. That was kind of the thing. Well, good and on, it, mean, it, it, good on him. He's got like one check on the pro on a good side. on good guy <laughs> yeah. on good guy tie. Um. Yeah. <laughs> well, 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 we might we might talk about some other nice things that he's done uh, at the very end of this fucking thing because there's a lot of shit to wade through. But another thing, uh, another bear that he made was to commemorate each year that they made a billion dollars. There was two years where Ty made uh, Ty Inc made a billion dollars, so he made a billionaire bear. And at one one time uh, hmm. there was an annual company picnic, and that's where he presented everyone with this billionaire bear. And there were fucking collectors standing out around the park with thousands of dollars in cash in hand approaching these people like ticket scalpers like hey man did you get a bear did you get a bear and you know those ones the the ones from that picnic the billionaire bear the second one they sold for an average of five thousand dollars at this time so it's you know there's a lot of money being thrown around And with collectors' focus being on either completing their collections, that is, to own every Beanie Baby, or to obtain the most desirable beanies, Ty Inc.'s January of 1999 release of 24 new Beanie Babies was not a welcomed event. The company soon saw a significant drop in their wholesale orders. Stores were not interested in carrying new beanies because customers were mostly going for rarities and common beanies were collecting dust on the shelves. The effect of the new launch was felt online as well. By May of 1999, there were approximately 79,000 listings for Beanie Babies on eBay, making it very clear that there were far more people selling them than there were buying them. It's You know, it's what we were mentioning earlier, but 79,000, it's like... Yes, these aren't worth anything. You know, even if you do the math, there was 200 Beanie Babies total at this time, 79,000 listings. There's multiples of virtually every Beanie Baby being sold, really exposing the fact that this was a mass-produced, you know, product that really didn't hold the weight that we thought it did. And May of 1999 actually saw the third and final McDonald's Beanie Baby promotion, but this time there were no lines, no phone calls, no demand. There were simply too many Beanie Babies in the world. Thai Inc. began feeling the pressure, and soon sales reps began pushing for the sales of other Thai products, sometimes even withholding beanie shipments unless other products were ordered as well. Because they made, like, Monsters, I think one of them was called, and they had different lines of things that weren't the Beanie Babies, but they were, you know, super unpopular. It was more just, like, filler on the shelf on your Thai display. They make face masks now, I saw. They make slippers now. They make all kinds of shit now. They make uh, beanie booze. Not like booze, like drinking. They're called beanie booze, and they have big eyes. They sell them at the market. (laughs) I perked up. Yeah. (laughs) Like a a koozie, maybe. Maybe a koozie. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Maybe we'll take my vast beanie baby collection and make koozies out of them, and that's how we'll make the money back. Or, folks, mm-hmm. if you sign up to our 1999 tier on Patreon, I will send you a fucking Beanie Baby, okay? I will send you one Beanie oh, Baby for doing that. you heard that. it. Yeah, you so heard you, it. Could, you heard it. You could potentially get rich from subscribing to our Patreon. Now, where was Ty during all of this? Ty Warner, we know, lives this 
you know, complicated life full of harsh memories from growing up in a very unstable environment and being this eccentric perfectionist with plastic surgeries and stalking and all this stuff. We know he's in a relationship with a woman named Faith McGowan who has two daughters and they're all kind of living together. But let's get into what he was doing during this bursting uh, period of time here. As the speculative bubble he created began to burst, Ty Warner's personal life also grew more complicated. It was Christmas Eve of 1998 when Ty's girlfriend, Faith McGowan, was preparing a quiet night in for her and her toy mogul boyfriend, who by this time had given her an engagement ring but never actually asked her to marry him. She grew concerned when Ty had not arrived when he told her he would, nor did he call to explain. She was unable to reach him by phone, so she stopped by his office and discovered he was not there. Then it struck her. Ty's ex-girlfriend and current business partner, Patricia Roche, a.k.a. Patty the Platypus, was in town visiting family. <laughs> McGowan called Roche's family home, posing as an old friend of hers, and was told that Roche was staying in a hotel. A hotel right next door to Ty Inc. headquarters. Ah, we can see where this is going. This is a dirty dog. <laughs> also, just like, I just feel like, like I, and I know we talked about this before, but like, Pat, just like Patricia aka patty the platypus that's (laughs) it's such a dig like he literally one of the very first beanie babies ever made is a fucking dig at his ex-girlfriend who literally helped him build his empire right and i guess is still helping him build another thing yeah exactly yeah she's not completely out of the picture so she went to the hotel and saw ty's car in the parking lot she went inside and requested his room be called. A reluctant employee made the call and gave McGowan the phone. The familiar voice of the woman she despised answered, and after a brief argument turned screaming match, Ty, rather than calmly making an excuse for the meeting, which he could have easily done over the phone or in the room itself, came down to the lobby of a hotel next door to his billion-dollar company's headquarters that employs hundreds of people and proceeded to get yelled at by and then punched in the face by McGowan in front of everyone in the lobby, including the police officers that the hotel staff had called just in case. No charges were filed against McGowan, and Ty relished in the fuss that was created. Roche explained later that if you weren't screaming at him, Ty didn't really think you cared about him. He kind of had this, you know, because of his mom, you know, being so harsh and with her mental illness and the abuse, you know, he was used, like, that's how in his head he saw love. Like, oh, she must really care about me if she's this upset. Which he, is toxic. he came down. He came down to get a taste. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he so. could have easily met her anywhere else, but he chose to go down there where he's like. And I mean, Ty's a weird looking guy, man. Like anyone in that local town would know who the fuck he was. You yeah. know, Faith, so the relationship Faith McGowan is a hot yeah. name. And if there's any it, listening, it to is. Faith, hit me up. Hit me up on the DMs if your name's Faith. I like that name. Uh, I'm not even going to I'm not even going to spoil that for you because it'll be so much funnier to hear your reaction a little later in this episode. (laughs) So the relationship between Warner and McGowan understandably began to wither and the two split up. McGowan was given six million dollars, most of which was in the form of property, a mansion in Santa Barbara that she would end up having to rent out to create steady income for herself and her daughters. And while McGowan acquired this piece of property, Ty was pursuing his own interest in real estate and purchased the Four Seasons Hotel in New York City for two hundred and forty five million dollars, putting in an additional eighty six million dollars in renovations. 
fucking crazy. And it's also worth noting that Roche, um, you know, she had been a, she's a millionaire a bunch of times over from working for Ty and keeping that relationship, even though it was strenuous, even though she would berate him all the time, hated the guy. She was still making a lot of money, whereas McGowan was just his girlfriend. So she wasn't on any kind of payroll or anything like that. And at the more kind of uh, rocky the relationship got, the more the the real fear of being you know poverty stricken if he were to leave her, you know, was was becoming a reality. So eventually, oh, yeah, because he was this on agreement. that sugar daddy shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's control. Yeah, it's just straight up control. And so, so she was able to get this. They call it the deal, and that was kind of uh, her relationship severance, if you will. And even though the relationship was over, Ty still called McGowan to tell her about his plans for beanies. It would be the most impactful decision he would make, second only to creating Beanie Babies in the first place. He told McGowan that he would be releasing only one more Beanie Baby, a black bear named The End, with fireworks embroidered on its chest. He wanted McGowan to pen the final poem for the hang tag. The poem she wrote read, All good things to an end. It's been fun for everyone. Peace and hope are never gone. Love you all and say so long. His reasoning for discontinuing the best-selling toy of all time was to introduce a new product line, Beanie Kids, which essentially are just Beanie Babies that look like humans. He believed that Ty (laughs) Inc. could do no wrong and that the mania caused by Beanie Babies would carry over to his new product, which was not the case. Everyone at the company, including Roche, McGowan, everyone, when he would show them these Beanie Kids, they'd be like, that's terrifying. Like, these are yeah. terrifying. These are ugly. Yeah. These are freaky. They're limp-bodied children. Can, like it's that the uncanny are, valley. You can't have it be too much like a human. It, yeah, know? it's I mean, it's in, it's gross. Yeah, Cabbage Patch Kids don't look like humans. Hell, even Barbie doesn't look like a human. You know, yeah. GI Joes don't look like humans. You know, so it's like, yeah, he just made them all realistic, and with the understuffing, they just yeah, it's gross. But besides the introduction of Beanie Kids, there was another reason for retiring all the Beanie Babies. Ty's ultimate plan was to retire them all, then via the Ty website, hold an election from fans to vote on whether or not they should bring them back. Once the vote proved that fans wanted more Beanies, he would then release a new Millennium line of the plush toys. See, oh, this so is where like he started. Huh? He is fucking with the market now. Yeah, mm-hmm. like directly. And it's because he saw the bubble bursting, you know, at the seams. And he realized like he's seeing the sales go down. He's seeing the buzz kind of go down. He's seeing these articles. So he's like, what can I do? Well, I'll just retire all of them and then make new ones. And everyone will start fresh with all these new collectors. And, you know, we'll find that that really didn't go down like that. The announcement of the mass retirement and the end of Beanie Babies caused a media storm. News vans lined up outside of the Thai Inc. headquarters, hoping to get a comment from the eccentric mogul who would stroll casually by them every day in a different colored flashy suit, only to say no comment. Specifically walking in through the front where he would be encountered by them. Like, just specifically to say no comment. He relished in that. Collectors were in a panic. The price had been driven down due to the sheer amount of beanies being sold in the world. And with all of the beanies being retired, there was little to discern the rare ones from the common ones. Because now, they're all supposedly rare. You know, and that makes you wonder, well, are the ones that were retired beforehand any more rare than the ones that just got retired now? It completely leveled the playing field. And business journalists, they speculated that this decision was made to push sales because Pokemon cards were taking over this kind of secondary market interest. The Pokemon cards and her Sopranos. 
Anyway. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it, it, exactly. Well, and also the kids that were, you know, very like young enough to enjoy a plush toy by this time, you know, were, you know, because Beanie Babies, you know, were rising up through the 90s. By 1999, you know, these kids are now entering junior high school. They might be a little older, like 12 years old or, or getting into teens. And like this thing, the like Pokemon cards kind of spoke more to them because it wasn't a cutesy toy. It was like, again, you can relate a, a Pokemon card to a, a baseball game. card. But and it was, it was a, game. a game. Yeah, it was a thinking game. So, you know? like, there was yeah, so exactly. much more going on with Pokemon. You know, I got to say, I don't like Beanie Babies. I'm not, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a fan. <laughs> not a fan. <laughs> I've, been look, I've been looking at them. I've been looking at pictures of them. And uh, I just, I, and maybe I did when I was a kid. I, but I had a couple. But, like, I don't like the understuffing, actually. I think I'm a stuffed guy. I yeah. Like no, I get it. Hey, that's, you know, stuff my crust. Yeah, stuff my beanies. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what, though, with Pokemon cards, again, yeah, like even the cards themselves you could use. A beanie baby, you really don't play with that much if you're over the age of six. You know, what are you even going to do with it? You toss it around. But with Pokemon cards, that's like it's essentially the same game as Magic the Gathering, you know, which is like definitely right. an older yeah, kid's game. Simpler, yeah. You know, so th so there's there's that aspect of it as well. But yeah, Ty was you know they were feeling the heat from the from the beanies or from the Pokemon cards. Now Ty Inc. announced that they would hold a vote to bring beanies back on Christmas of 1999. The vote would be held by phone, and a person who called in would pay 50 cents, which would then be donated to a pediatric AIDS charity, and then they would give their vote. A reported 209,763 people voted to keep Beanie Babies going, but Faith McGowan claims that the real number of voters was about a tenth of that and the whole thing was a bust and that Ooh. there was like a whole you know telethon set up for this and ne'er did a phone ring now the new Faith line of being yeah well and, and I'll, I'll get to that in, in a second too because yeah she she was keeping track of all of the farces that were going on and all of the eccentricities and all of the mishaps she was uh keeping note of all that stuff for Something later on. Now, the new line of Beanie Babies was launched in March of 2000. 20 new beanies were introduced, but by then, fans of the product felt betrayed by the obvious stunt tie had pulled and sales slumped. Beanie Babies were soon being found in dollar stores and large bin retailers, the number one kind of place that Ty never wanted his creation sold. Uh, but many of the people who had hoarded beanies at the peak were now sitting on tons of plush toys that would never be worth what they had paid for them, let alone be worth the amount that they hoped that they would sell them for later. So it's like the bubble is absolutely bursting now. You know, there's no one left to buy the really expensive ones. There, there's too many people buying up all the ones that just got retired. Then they introduce new ones. No one wants the new ones because no one knows what to do with all the old ones now. Everyone's kind of confused. There's too many of them. The Berenstein Bears, actually, there was a book called The Mad, Mad, Mad Toy Craze that came out in 1999 that was literally about this, where the kids are really into it. They have to have all these ones. They start having nightmares about the toys chasing them. And then the parents get into it because they start realizing how popular it is and oh they get into the collection thing and then they eventually you know they, they stop selling them and they're just left there with all of them they're like what do we do with this and it's like I don't know and that's kind of how the book ends and the book was panned uh, as one of the worst Berenstein Bear books ever because it was being panned by parents who were guilty of being the parents in the book <laughs> and they were just like hoping that maybe the ending would be happy but it's like no you're a fucking idiot and even yeah. the Berenstein Bears are saying so you know, it's not just right. culture dumps. The a way more reputable source of information, the Berenstein Bears, also agree. 
Over the next couple years, Ty had to put his own money into the company for the first time since its creation in order to stay afloat. Sales had dipped by over 90%. On his 2004 tax return, Ty claimed $39 million in losses. The secondary market suffered as well. Websites that once sold rare beanies for extravagant prices were now wholesale retailers buying and selling them, usually for under a dollar a piece, and buy the trash bag full. A lot of them are going to charities for write-offs. A lot of them are just kind of disappearing. People are giving up. And, and it's happening really suddenly, uh, again, to the point where Ty is like, fuck, like I have to put up my own money just to like make ends meet for this one year until I figure out how to fix this problem that I didn't create. Because he did again, he didn't really do anything. The 1999 mm-hmm. discontinuation going into 2000, that's where he fucked it up r- real bad for everyone. But before True. that, but, he wasn't. But he didn't do anything. But at the same time, I mean, I guess... If you start a business, you're always thinking, how do I keep it afloat? So, I mean, even though he didn't, it's like, I know he didn't like the secondary market, but that probably, honestly, that probably kept this shit going way longer than it would have normally. If yeah, like, that didn't happen, I, I, guess I feel so. like this shit would have died in like 97 or 98. Or it just would have been know? like steady, like all other like plush toy companies. You know, this is truly an anomaly, true. folks. And yeah, that's why that's it's a culture true. dump. It could, yeah, it could have been a thing that you're just like, oh, get him a beanie baby for Christmas instead of the, a huge '90s fad blow up. So yeah, or like, hey, let's buy yeah, a bunch of these yeah. and make koozies. You know, <laughs> it's, <Yeah. laughs> it, it's all that. Now, while his company was struggling, Ty began buying up more and more real estate. He purchased several hotels, resorts, and casinos, ensuring that his flow of income would never end. As he was securing a financial future for himself that would put him on Forbes' list of the wealthiest people in the world, he ranks about like 400. It's not like crazy, but still, like, there's a lot of people still, in the world a, that have a lot I'm of sitting. fucking money, and uh, he's like up in the you know high hundreds of, of, of those people. Uh, it, it, it's crazy, but he's still like, very hands on with his own company trying to maintain it. He created several new lines of products, most of which lasted only a few years before their discontinuation. Note, discontinuation not retirement because they couldn't afford to keep making them and no one cared enough if they if they announced that one would be retired it just wasn't working like that anymore one of these things in particular which was created by his new girlfriend who is unnamed in the book um but and this is at the time you know and she is described as a horrible person from just about everyone that ran into her roche believes that uh this woman has some kind of blackmail on ty because whereas faith mcgowan was about 14 years younger than ty this woman is about the same older than him um by all reports not very attractive like like just not the type that ty warner would you know usually be with you know (laughs) like it it really just seemed like she had something over him and this was like even further believed after he allowed her to uh introduce a doll called angeline which was like an old-fashioned like rag doll kind of looking thing and it came with a little book and sales reps were threatened with termination if they didn't sell at least 100 dollars worth of those dolls to any of their clients like so not only it's like is he like okay yes we'll make your doll but it's like i will fire every single one of my salespeople if you don't sell at least 100 bucks worth of these you know it's the meltdown part of the movie yeah. everything's falling apart he's making we, terrible we love a, we love the we love the good rise and fall you know right well and if you remember uh last episode we talked about how closely ty guarded his creations and how important credit was and but even though he did take things here and there from other things he was really concerned about being copied 
He starts totally going crazy at this point, and he created Thai girls completely modeled after Bratz dolls, which was one of the highest selling, you know, toys at, at, by this time, you know, in the early 2000s. And so he, he just directly copies them just trying to keep up because now he's trying to keep up with everyone else. He's the one that's copying everyone. He also came out with Beanie Babies 2.0, which were modeled after the extremely successful rival toy Webkins, which were essentially a stuffed animal that you would get that would have some kind of online code and you would interact with the website along with the toy and with Ty, just they just didn't get the kinks worked out and it just totally failed you know once something's already established like that you can't just like jump in and do the same thing you know and which a lot of people learned with beanie babies you can't just make a plush toy because this one plush toy is doing really well but now it's flipped it's completely flipped on them and perhaps the strangest products that ty released were part of the ty girls line which were plush versions of first children Malia and Sasha Obama. And after a press oh. release, it, yeah, weird. But after a press release on behalf of the first lady, which called the release inappropriate, the names of the dolls were changed shortly before the line was completely discontinued. Ironically, though, this name change sparked a brief collector's craze, and the original dolls were sold online for hundreds of dollars. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's good. I mean, I'm going to say they were like, those were pr- they were pretty popular first children. It's not the crazy. But he didn't idea. have permission or anything. People... He's just like, I'm going well, yeah. to make oh, right. these yeah. kids into dolls. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, what the fuck? Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's funny because, like, you know, again, it's like he had to discontinue the line. But there were some people that made a little bit of money off of these in the secondary market, almost like a microcosm of the beanie craze. So it, it's just right. hilarious how these things work out. Now, Ty Inc. ramped up their licensing and found out that 40% of their sales are now coming in from licensed products from shows like SpongeBob SquarePants and Dora the Explorer. By 2009, it was clear that Ty Inc. would never be as successful as it had been in the 90s. Yes, there's now Beanie Boos, which are little animals with giant eyes. They make apparel. They have all different kinds of things. There was like Monsters. They have like a um, like a premium line of stuffed animals. It's never going to be Beanie Mania ever again. That's never. where it ends. I think I think the Beanie Boos are like I now I, I see them every once in a while. They're like I think but you yeah, might like those ne- more than Beanie Babies because they're uh, more stuffed. I think so. Yeah. I like the more stuffed. You know. Yeah, it, it is thick. Thing. you like them the thick. Princess, you like your stuffed the, animals thick. I like them thick. Um, <laughs> the Princess Diana bear is such a disappointment. I was like looking at pictures. It's just like what? Yeah, and I get that it's a tribute, but it's like the bear doesn't. Well, it's a regal guess, beanie baby. I'm just. I'm like I'll save it, but I'm just like that. That bear looks stupid. That. <laughs> You bite your tongue. Well, you know, and also the thing with the Princess Diana Beanie Baby that people don't realize is when they made that, all the proceeds are going to charity. So they made a shitload of them every time they put them out. And it wasn't just a single release. They There are several different versions of this. So in a sense, it's like the least rare Beanie Baby. But it's just the perception. It's the myth. Where are they now? What became of all the people whose lives were so impacted by Beanie Babies and by Ty Warner himself? And what became of Ty Warner? Well, let's start with a hot girl named Faith McGowan. His longtime girlfriend, who had been by his side throughout the peak of Beanie Mania, had a card up her sleeve that she believed would make up for everything that she had been denied by Ty. In 2004, a website was created to announce the publishing of her memoirs, which she was going to title 
Ty and the Beanie Stock, Faith McGowan's personal story of how she and Ty Warner turned beanbags into billions and lost each other. She managed to find a literary agent, but not a major publisher. Her lawyer, who she had been working with, demanded a high fee for facilitating book deals, and this was a fee that McGowan at the time couldn't afford, so she locked the manuscript away where it remains unpublished to this day. However, for this book, uh, the author was granted access to it through, through her daughters because Faith McGowan died unexpectedly in 2013. Ty surprised oh, her daughters... Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, she's such a, I like, she's such an important part of this story. You know, I feel yeah. more important than than Roche even, and Roche was more on the ground floor. But uh, it, it's, you know, she's a major player, and yeah, it, it's very sad. You know, she again, she completely dies unexpectedly, unseen health issue. Ty surprised her daughters by arriving at the funeral, even though he never called or anything, didn't send any letters, didn't send any flowers. He just shows up, you know, and they had tried to contact him. You know, eventually, uh, he must have figured out where the funeral was somehow, but he didn't even talk to anyone. He just shows up like, oh, won't you be glad to see me now? You know, which is like a totally fucked up thing. And afterwards, he told the daughters that, you know, I really should have married your mother. A statement that they would resent him for for the rest of their lives. They told him right there, don't you ever say that ever again. You're such a sack of shit. Fuck you. That Yeah. Like, what is the fucking point of saying that? (laughs) Exactly. And it's like, dude, you fucking like you saw how the relationship ended and you gave her a ring that like you showed off to like her father and stuff and like never even asked her to marry. Like, you're a piece of shit. You know, you're just uh, you're just a beanie baby baron. That's kind of the the ego to think that if you the ego is you think that if you say that, that you'll make people feel better. I say right yeah exactly that's like how out of touch yeah it's like how flattered we are that you wish you married our mother when you fucking could have (laughs) over the years that you guys dated uh asshole now lena trevetti who wrote the majority of the beanie baby tag poems and created the revolutionary tie inc website went on to start her own web design company and help design websites for the spice girls and motley crew but her company flopped shortly after In 2001, she was charged with counterfeiting money orders and spent some time in jail. Upon her release, she was homeless, finding it extremely difficult to find work due to a lack of trust from employers. She began working with an outreach program where she taught other felons computer-related skills, and she moonlighted as a dancer whilst wearing her monitoring ankle bracelet. Uh, Trevetti now works as a freelance web developer. Yeah, pretty fucking crazy. But the thing is, that's a ride. That's a roller coaster. Totally. And it's fucked up. And and the fucked up part is when she, you know, because people getting out of the, you know, justice system have a terrible time finding work. You know, it's 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 really hard to find someone to trust uh, an ex felon or or, or what have you. And but with Trevetti, there is this added thing where her story and work history just seems so unlikely. It's like this homeless person's asking you for a job. She's super young. And you're like, oh, you wrote all the Beanie Baby poems. Sure <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah. Oh, you made a website yeah. for Motley Crue also? Sure you did. And like yeah. no one would believe it's, her. <laughs> that's really random. Yeah, we should hit her up to make our website. Uh, <laughs> you know, but I just think it, like dude, it's like no one's like believing her like, you know, and again, it's like that that career history is so colorful that like I don't even blame some of these people I, for not I've believing her. I've never associated Yeah, and I've never associated Motley Crue and Spice Girls together, but now I I think about their websites theoretically in 2001. It's probably about the like, same. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like virtually a lot of identical. textures, a lot of graphic textures. Yeah, just change the um, the text color from like red and black mm-hmm. to like pink and white. 
Now, Patricia Roche, who had been with Ty at the start of Ty Inc., who helped make him a billionaire and in turn became a multimillionaire herself, left the company in 2004. The endless bickering paired with the decline of sales prompted their split. At the final meeting, which Ty didn't even want to show up to, by the way, she sat in his office and said, no, I'll wait to the person that said, oh, he wasn't coming in today. He left this for you. Like, she's like, no, you're not going to do that to me. Fucking you asshole. And she waited. And eventually he, he saw, I think he was even in the office the whole time. Like, okay, the jig is up. Like she knows I'm fucking here kind of a thing. And she said, thank you for 20 years. You're a bastard. And I hope to God, I never see you again. <laughs> That's a quote. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Roche's a, a badass. Burn. Like she gave she gave Warner a what for? Um yeah, and she she ended up getting married and I guess um Ty sent her like a, a card, not like a gift or anything, but it was like a like, oh I'm so proud of you. We went through so much together. Congratulations on getting married. I hope you're the best. And she stood there with her friends and jokingly like shook the card out like she was waiting for money to fall out of it. Like and everyone like kind of laughed at like what an empty gesture wow. that letter was. Now, the ex-soap opera star turned beanie hoarder Chris Robinson is still sitting on his over $100,000 worth of beanie babies. But his son released an independent documentary for his uh, for college about the whole story, which is titled Bankrupt by Beanies. That's available on YouTube. Highly recommend it. We've also posted the link to our Patreon in the research section. Uh, many of the oh, ground. I, yeah. I watched that. Yeah, you yeah. saw that. That's the guy. Yeah. He's got a lot of fucking beanie man, babies, that huh? That's fucked up, man. That shit's fucked up. It's sad. Yeah. You know, it, it's sad when, it, you know, it's like the depression, you know, it's like, brother, can you spare a dime? Like, fucking, but Beanie Babies, you know, it's not like a market crash or anything. It's like people like, and then, you know, one of the things that they mention in, in the book that, you know, the great Beanie Baby bubble is that these are a physical thing that you could see. You know, if you lose all your money in the stocks or if you lose all your money and you know gambling or something like you don't see it you know what i mean with beanie babies you're looking at this pile of things that you bought that are now worthless and they stare back at you because they have eyes and like you're just having to <laughs> deal staring at you with those empty eyes and those dude one guy took his wife's bills. fucking she had like 300 beanie babies he takes them out in the yard and sets them on fire after uh after the big drop in like 2002 or something because he was like i'm fucking just sick of them i'm sick of them being here yeah. fuck this and like she was I upset feel you, man i'm sick of them too yeah yeah <laughs> yeah three episodes dude three fucking <laughs> three fucking episodes now many oh God, yeah. stupid beanies. It's okay. It's it's almost <laughs> over. And I still have a couple bombs to drop. Some beanie bombs. Uh, many of the ground floor collectors who got in and got out while the getting was good are still living off their beanie profits, while others are waiting for the return of the trend. For instance, Leon and Sandra Schlossberg, for instance, they claim to have over 16,000 Thai Inc. products and are planning one day to open a Thai Inc. museum complete with its own McDonald's. And this guy has, like, blueprints and fucking knows exactly what's going to go where. And, you know, there was this thing where um, some beanies came, like, um, like later on in, in the early 2000s. They would have, like, a voice box. So you'd squeeze them and they'd make, like, a like a weird-ass sound that was supposed to be the beanie sound. He has all of those digitally rendered onto his computer and, like, has slowed them down and, like, reversed them and, like, looked for messages in them and shit. And he just has everything that ties ever put out probably except for like a couple really choice beanies but yeah i would go to that i would go to that fucking museum i went to the mcdonald's museum in san bernardino it's literally just a museum of mcdonald's merchandise it's incredible <laughs> yeah it's incredible it, 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 it's absolutely amazing but yeah i would go that but then there was this other guy who um 
he was a teenager and he used all of his first job money to buy beanies, uh, you know, when he was in junior high and high school at the height and he was saving them, you know, thinking that again, like, Oh, I'll sell all these. And he was like, you know, a lot of his friends were like suburban housewives, like that he would like wait in line with outside like the Hallmark store for the new releases. And they all knew him. And he was like the young guy that like, was a collector. He knows that they're worthless now. So now he makes art projects with them. I wish I could remember his name. It's like Jason something, but, uh, he decapitates them and makes them look like hunting trophies. And he sells them for 25 bucks a piece. And he said that through doing that, he's made his money back because there's no way right. he can sell See, them. There you go. You got it. Yeah. It's got to get back to the ground floor as it were. Right. Um, I, I have a friend here in Atlanta, Mike, uh, who, um, he is an artist and I went by his spot the other day, and he had, I mean, he probably got them on eBay for really cheap, but he had, like, 300 Beanie Babies. But yeah. he had, he would have, like, 30 of the same one, and I think he's going to make some kind of Yeah, like a dress, like art. a coat, a it, fur coat. It looks coat. cool when, it does, yeah, it looks cool when they're all the same. And yeah, that, that would be pretty funny to make a coat. Out of. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, the funniest thing about these uh, hunting trophies that this guy makes is that he leaves the hang tag on and people are always like, if you're decapitating him, why do you leave the tag on? He says, because they're not worth anything if you take the tag off. <laughs> just like just a good little uh, that's some beanie humor for you now harold nazamian warner's boss during his time as a salesman for dakin would cross paths with his ex-star salesman in 2000 when Thai inc sued small-time plush toy company soft bellies who produced a line of toys called screeny beanies which were intended to wipe the dust from your computer monitors so it's like a little it's essentially a beanie baby but you know with uh Longer hair so you could, you know, dust your office area. And Ty claimed that he alone had the right to use the word beanie. Now, Nazamian was brought in as an expert witness on behalf of soft bellies. And his purpose was to prove through his decades of toy experience that the term beanie was used long before Beanie Babies. Warner reached out to Nazamian and convinced him not to testify. Ty Inc. won the lawsuit, but eventually had to forfeit the $716,000 that was awarded to them in 2005 due to the fact that Ty Warner essentially tampered with the witness. <laughs> like, he did. Damn. Like, that's what, that's what it is. Like, this yeah. is a witness, like, hired by the opposing side, and you, like, you bri- he bribed him, basically. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but also that that decision was like overturned again. It's, it's a long legal proceeding. But Nazamian now runs his own independent toy company called Timeless Toys, where he fulfills the orders himself. This is the guy that was the CEO of the biggest plush toy company in the world before Ty. And, and now he's, you know, if you order something from Timeless Toys, he's the one carting it to the post office. Um, but Ty attempted Nazamian with a job at their European branch. And that is how he kind of he's like, look, man. I know we had our differences, blah, blah, blah. Like, this is a fucked up lawsuit. Like, it, but I'll tell you what, like, just leave it alone. And, you know, I think there's an opening, you know, for a high up position. And that never panned out, you know. So, yeah, he, he essentially bribed a witness. Now it's going to get dark, folks. As far as uh, Ty Warner's sister, Joy, Joy raised seven children from a former husband and has lived in the same modest home for nearly half of her life. Working two jobs in healthcare along with landscaping gigs, she manages to scrape by without any aid from her billionaire brother. Not to say that she hasn't asked for his help. She had asked him for help paying for a hip replacement surgery, and he declined. He also declined via text message to give her a whopping $1,000 loan. During her interviews for the book, The Great Beanie Baby Bubble, she admitted that a lot of the hardships she and her brother experienced growing up did not only stem from their mother's severe mental illness, but also from their father molesting her when she was six years old. And this went on a a number of times. 
Her mother's animosity towards her daughter stemmed from the delusion that her young daughter was nothing more than a woman who was sleeping with her husband. Hence why the mom w- would stand over her with a knife in the middle of the night and the little girl would wake up. Mom, what are you doing? Uh, you know, it was awful. God. Yeah. In, yeah, I know. Just wow. when you thought it couldn't get any worse. In response to the abuse, Joy would often run away, only to be brought back home to the situation she was trying to escape. The increasing problems at home caused her brother to act out as well, and after being caught with a cachet of stolen appliances, he was sent to military school. Now, there's a lot there, and I feel like it's best to keep it at the end because it kind of puts a little bit more... It's a big bummer. You know what I mean? It puts a little bit more in, in perspective. You know, had we had told you all this at the start and the father actually apologized to her years later explaining that he molested her because it would keep him from cheating on his wife while he was away on these business trips yeah how fucking greasy you burn in hell uh you fucking son of a bitch you know what i mean it's say that it's it's awful but as if that's not bad enough when ty found out he was surprised and said something along the lines of that's weird dad cheated on mom all the time <laughs> oh, yeah, God. it's dude. It, I mean, he had a fucked up. His, his it, family life was not. It's awful. But rather than like dad was molesting you, it's like, what? Dad cheated on all the time. Like it's like that was the reaction. Yeah. And now Ty's time at military school, which again he leaves out of his life story. It was awful. He was ruthlessly bullied, and he was actually sent home after being stabbed during getting jumped by a bunch of bullies. Just fucking stabbed. His sister Jeez. also stated that he had gotten a girl pregnant during his first year of college, which prompted his father to pay the girl off and then send Ty away to California, where he was doing the camera salesman thing, trying to be an actor, which to all accounts probably isn't even true and then eventually came back to work alongside his child molesting fucking father at Dakin. Whoa. There it's all yeah. that's a lot yeah. there a lot coming out about this guy's life story. It's just fucking one terrible thing after another. Wishful thinking naming her joy. Yeah. Yeah. No, a- absolutely. And also again it's it kind of makes beanie babies this dark thing because it's like you know the the reason why I, Stuffed animals are so important to developing children, you know, according to like any, you know, psychological review you read about <laughs> about the effect of stuffed animals. It's it's a comfort thing. You can hold it. It feels like it's yours. You feel responsible for it. That's why you give them names and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And like the Beanie Babies, it's just like the idea that he's just like so fixated on creating this thing that will like comfort a child comes from Kinda this like going, extremely dark place. Going back to your own childhood, maybe. 110%. Yes. Now Oof. for the man behind the beanie himself, Ty Warner. On September 18th, 2013, Ty was charged with tax evasion. It came to light that he had an offshore bank account which held over $100 million. Even though Warner had pled guilty and agreed to pay $53.5 million in civil penalties, he still faced a considerable amount of prison time. In January of 2014, Ty Warner was sentenced to two years of probation and 500 hours, I almost said 500 years, and 500 years of community service. 500 hours of community service. And Warner had used his troubled upbringing as well as his charitable donations as reasons why he did not deserve this surprisingly lenient punishment. He was still trying, like, he basically you know, dodged a bullet, you know, missing prison yeah. time for like people were with way less money. were going down for this at, at this period in time. This is a, a lot of new laws were changing as far as offshore bank accounts. And he really could but you know, he's super fucking rich. But, and again, yeah, like to bring up like all that fucked up shit about your family as like a reason why 
you should be let off the hook for like hoarding your cash. Like, like it's not like you fucking you know broke like you know what i mean it's like that barely even makes yeah. that barely even yeah. works with yeah. like a violent criminal that is a hundred percent acting out as a direct result of their drama and you think someone's gonna right. give you a break because you're a fucking billionaire that hit a hundred million dollars fuck you you know mm-hmm. and uh yeah fuck you ty warner yeah yeah it, it, yeah exactly <laughs> fuck you ty warner that's that's what this episode uh you know <laughs> should be called now during the appeals the court stated that neither of those things granted warner any special privilege especially considering that the 35 million dollars he had donated to charitable causes uh, out of his own pocket not through the business by the way uh, this is just himself reflected only two percent of his total worth and was donated over a period of 14 years Let's put this into perspective. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to round up here. And, and you know, this is going to be dumb, dummy math. But essentially, say you're making around $64,000 a year. To donate the equivalent, it would be like $1,400 a year, but donated over a span of 14 years. It's like yeah. it's a piss in the pool, you know. And right. they're like, okay, yeah, you're a billionaire. And you spent literally like around less than 2% of everything you have over a quarter of your life. Like, what the fuck? Like, no. So at, at every turn, he's getting denied. Uh, and, yeah, that's the whole thing. So to this day, Ty Warner still oversees operations at Ty Inc., as well as his empire of resorts and hotels. As it stands, he has no estate planning in place, which leaves his sister Joy as the sole recipient of his fortune should he pass away. I mean, I guess that that's kind of something, right? I mean... What about Possibly. Fate's daughters? What about uh, anyone that helped him along the way? What about the sure. like you know he's like if you're well, that yeah, rich, gotta, if you're that rich, and there's something so, to his sister. Yeah, well, I mean, That's, yes, I mean, trust me, I mean, again, you could get two percent of what that guy is worth. And that's back then, you know, he's again, he's running resorts and shit now. It's like mm-hmm. if you could get two percent and be set way beyond the True, rest no, of your yeah, life. Yeah, no, he should have, yeah. He should have an estate. You know, and it's like, and he could, it'd be so easy just to hire someone to fucking do it. But I feel like maybe there's an ego thing where it's like, I'll never ego. die. Or like, I'll I don't want to give this yeah, shit away. Just let it, it, just let it go in the wind, you know, whenever. But that's Beanie Babies, folks. What, Ooh. what does it all mean? What does it all mean? I guess it means that even the cutest of toys can harbor bad intentions and dark secrets. Money and dreams of wealth are poisonous and they can entrance even the most humble of the suburban housewives. Get in while the getting is good and get out when there's a trend like this. It's happening right now. We talked yep. about it. NFTs wink, wink. and stuff. Like, yeah, NFTs, like, y'all. get in right now because at any time, this whole thing could explode when everyone realizes that this is bullshit. You know, nothing lasts forever. And if it seems too good to be true, it is. So get in and get out. You know, it's like there's there's things that last. For instance, a stuffed animal will always be something in the world. You know, in every country, it's always going to be there. Are they worth money? No. So, you know, it's like while Beanie Babies still retain their uh, sentimental value, which could never be bought, <laughs> uh, they're worth dog shit. So that's right. But you know, don't spend, uh, you know, don't spend five hundred dollars on on the sentimental value of this particular thing. Right. Yeah. No, it's um, like, and you know what? Let kids play with toys. How about that? How about we let kids play with their fucking toys? You know, instead of my, instead of making them this po- evil Pokemon thing, Pokemon is better. You know, that's my yeah. 
it, it's it's yeah, Pokemon's better. It, it's just it's just this whole thing. But real quick, one of the interesting things I learned in this book, again written by Zach Bisonette, the Great Beanie Baby Bubble. Gotta recommend it. It's I mean, the, we're, we barely scratched the surface here, and this is a stacked uh, three episodes here. But one of the most interesting things I learned doesn't have anything to do with Beanie Babies, but the teddy bear. Where does teddy bear come from? Well. On a, a Theodore Roosevelt on a hunting trip was so disappointed that he wasn't able to shoot anything that one of his aides tied a stuffed bear. They weren't called teddy bears at the time. It was just a bear, you know, or a, or a stuffed bear or, a, you know, cotton bear, whatever. Tied it to a tree and was like, here, like you can hit this. And then everyone laughed at him and he got all embarrassed. So then another aide went over and sliced the bear's head off, like from behind, like he was slitting its throat. And like everyone was all laughing on, on this hunting trip and they started calling him teddy bears. And and like as far as Teddy Roosevelt and that stuck. Isn't that fucking crazy and dark? So I knew that it was because of Teddy Roosevelt, but I didn't know all that fucked up. Yeah, because he wanted to kill a real shit. animal and he couldn't kill a real animal. So they uh, set up a stuffed bear for him. It's it's like this whole fucking whole fucking thing. So that's Beanie Babies, folks. That was that was quite the episode. We'll have something. Um, I mean, you know, I wanted to have our next episode be like something really fucked up, you know, and like, like graphic and like kind of, but you know what? This episode really did it for me. I don't, I don't think I need to go down like a particularly dark road for the next episode. It took a dark, it took a dark turn there. The joy, joy Warner. That's dude. there was murder in this one and everything else. Yeah. And like, I mean, it's all part of the same, same story folks. So again, you know, if something's really fucking popular, if you're starting by the time, if you've already heard about it and it's not something that you're familiar with, it's already too late. You know, I already know it's too yeah. late for me to get involved in like cryptocurrency and shit because like they're talking about it on the news. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's that's it right, for me. That's right. a wrap. You know, so folks, make sure you follow us on Instagram at Culture Dumps. If you have a suggestion, we've been getting some good ones lately, actually, uh, some that we're going to be using. So we'll be announcing the names of those people on the days we do those episodes. But email us at culturedumps at gmail.com and make sure you subscribe to patreon.com slash culture dumps for podcast 99 stuff, culture dump stuff, everything in between early access to episodes, bonus series like our side series squirts and docu dumps and our set commentaries from Woodstock 99, everything else. I'm Ryan Lichten. I am Parks Miller. And if you eat it up, we dump it out. This is like admitting to a drug addiction, you know. <laughs> you want to forget it. You don't want to be, you know, did I really do that? But it was fun. It was exciting because at least three of you, and then it was two of you, and then it was one of you, and then it was none of you really were excited anymore. And that's when it started to... Well, what am I doing it for? Okay, I'm doing it for a college education, which so far has never taken place because I guess lost a lot of money.